Hello, once again, welcome to Hollywood Breaks. It's good to be with you on this Friday morning. There's a lot of stuff happening at the end of the year and we can't wait to get to it. But before we do that, we have to welcome our favorite, most dynamic executive there is behind the scenes, Keith Rouse, and most favorite guest that we are gonna ask to be permanent if we can get her here, Robin Geisen. Welcome guys to Hollywood Breaks. Hi, great to be back as always. It is. Thank you for having me. Robin, now this is your second time on. Are you less nervous? Because you know we are actually a couple of good guys. We're not <laughs> doing too much harm. Yeah, I know what to expect a little bit more this time. So, yeah, good. less nervous. She was scared, she I was be scared of you before, Tim. <laughs> I think you should be nervous because we're going to go deeper. We got you comfortable. We're really going <laughs> to make sure we find now out. Now we're going to pull the secrets out of you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right. All right. right. We can't go too far without pulling out this water for elephants poster that's going on behind Keith. Because random poster of the week goes to water for elephants. (laughs) So I I know there's an inside scoop here because both of you in this film, right? Yes. So for so this is obviously a poster, the one she designed by the refinery. I love Um, the refinery. Those are my great company. Yes. Yep. You're 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 Tim's familiar with them. but anyway, I had a thought, um, and also because you know we're coming on, this is the last episode of 2020. Um, I figured it was the uh, behoove us to end on a high note with something other than a brooding superhero or some dark monster and a dark black poster. And this is really the only one I have that's not that. So <laughs> that's why I put it up. Um, and also I thought this was the first movie that Robin and I kind of officially worked on together, but Robin told me I was dead wrong. That there were several films <laughs> prior to that that we worked on that I have old man memory and I didn't remember, you know, Ramona and Bezos and all the other films that we worked on together. But well, anyway. there's a little nuances of stuff that we did, but that was yeah. one that we were probably more involved with. So I'll get and, any, and anyone who loves the trailer, Robin reminded us that she was the one who picked that song. So yeah, Robin, Robin, what did for... you do on this film? Because yeah, you're... Robin, what did you do on it? I know what I did. What did oh, you no. do on this one? <laughs> I don't even know what I did. No, I, there's, um, I, yeah, I just sent the song. Um, I loved the song Cosmic Love, Florence and the Machine, and I sent it to Elliot Arias, who was cutting uh, as an idea. And he, he used it, and it turned out really, it re- turned out really well. And Peter Stugard actually did that special shoot for the poster that you're looking at, which I ended up. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's cool. I did a special shoot for our, because uh, I helped design the book cover, and that was what we ended up using for the book cover. So the special shoot meetings. Working on the strategy and all kinds of other stuff, too. But, special yeah. shoot meetings, you, you grabbed the talent, you went to a photography studio, and you just mm-hmm. shot still f- for promotion, opposed to doing a grab from the feature or something like that, right? Right. right. Well, typically, yeah, typically what you do is during the shoot itself, you actually schedule, you try to schedule, doesn't always work out this way. You try to schedule time in the shoot schedule to pull the town aside to do something like this. Yeah. Um, and most of the time, if you actually do it while they're in character, you get iconic footage, like Walk the Line, for example, that was all shot on set with Reese and Joaquin um, because they were in character. And that's how you got mm-hmm. some of those, those iconic black and white shots that were used in the one mm-hmm. sheet and what have you. Um, and it really helps to get, you really get your best stuff when they're on set because you have to call them back and get them into character again 
nine times out of ten they're they're missed because they have to come back <laughs> yeah um and depending on the level of talent involved you also have to get major approvals for the shoot they have to see the concept but sometimes when you shoot on set they're a little bit more willing to play around with it to give you more freedom in terms of the concepts you do have to have like um comps with you to sort of give them a sense of what it's going to look like but you guys um, sound like not- you've had the most glamorous <laughs> jobs on the planet where you get to sit around and drink. Nope. you don't have to be on set oh i wish time comes you jump on set you eat some red vines and you get these oh. special shoots going on with the talent it's uh yeah i mean yeah i mean they're definitely perks i'm not gonna lie there are perks to working in the business for sure um but the day-to-day can sometimes like this sounds like great but trying to pull this off is one headache after another because there's so many people that have to be aligned and getting all the approvals and it's a lot of work Peter Stugard at the time, um, he was like a one-man team. I swear to God, Peter was, he was magic. He was the magic man. He made so much stuff happen. He was doing so much of it alone. Um, He could, he could trans, he could translate Tony Stella vision into an actual executionable idea. Yeah. Peter was like, (laughs) I remember thinking, and I was really young and I remember looking him and going, oh, that's a hard worker. And mm-hmm. I still go back and look back at like the people that I've met through my career. And Peter Stugard is still at the top of people who work hard. And yeah. he, I mean, the guy would be running through the halls almost on a daily basis. And he was doing it all alone. And that like this uh, poster is all Peter. It was, he's, he was brilliant. That's awesome. I love the, the idea of, of uh, an executive running through the halls trying to get something done. But there Every- is... So many great- It happened a lot at Fox. <laughs> and if you don't put the effort into it, you don't get the best work, right? I think especially that's- on Wednesday, Especially on Wednesday mornings. And that's definitely when it happened a lot because that's oh. when we had our big meetings with Tom Rossman and Jim Giannopoulos, chairman at the time. And we were showing them all the materials. So Tom would, you'd show him the latest cut and he'd typically be like, no, 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 I like the way you did the other way. Let me see the previous cut. So we'd have to run upstairs. And that time we were still using three quarter inch tape because that's Tony loved the three quarter inch tape because you could toggle back and forth frame by frame whereas the DVDs you can't do that Mm -hmm. um so we were still using three quarter inch tapes at the time and when Sony stopped making them we would buy all the sort of the uh the the product that was in town because we're really the only studio that was still using them so three quarter inch players were old so we'd buy up old three quarter inch players so we had spare parts Every vendor kept a three-quarter inch player just because of us. Because we oh no, we at Trailer Park had the three-quarter three-quarter inch because of us. Yeah. That was because of us. That's because Tony uh, would those, only use three-quarters. Those kids who don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had one. The Back in like the, the day, tape. video used to be on a on a tape, and you would put the tape into a machine, mechanical machine, and the mechanics yes. made the. All right, let's yes. get into some of what's because uh, beyond three-quarter inch chain tapes changing in our industry, lots have changed in our industry. <laughs> Even in just the last seven days, the world has changed, mm-hmm. I feel like. Like every day seems to be something else. Um, I thought it'd be kind of fun just to take this episode <laughs> and almost think about like a retrospective uh, for the entire year. Um, really, we've captured um, about half the years and the changes that are going on in, in the last half of this year. And I'll just say personally, if we weren't doing this weekly, I don't think I could keep up with all of the changes that are taking place because so much happens in a seven day period. 
um, yeah. over the last year. Um, so it just seems like some big items, um, especially Robin, with you on board. I know that you're working with talent, you work with studios, you work in marketing. There's so many great uh, things that you've seen and changes you've seen. And I kind of want to dig into what those changes are. And if I'm looking for anything, I'm looking for that nugget that the people that want to know what's going on behind the scenes, you know, what, what can they know and, and their takeaways so that they can advance in their career or some kind of uh, creative background. Um, number one, I think we have to address, and this is the, the biggest thing that's happening in, this year is streaming. The streaming world is now everything from, from almost zero to, you know, a hundred million for Disney in a, in a, and just over a year period. Yeah. Netflix obviously is killing it. Um, you know, it's changing the way we're viewing uh, movies and I'll say, sadly, you know, I got my refund from Cinemark Theaters because I had booked a private screening to watch Elf with my family and they, oh. they can't open up. So they had to give me my money back instead of us uh, wow. going to see this thing. So their streaming is just where everybody's living right now. Uh, Robin, let's talk with you. Let's streaming. What is the, f the first thing when I talk about that that you think of when you think about like, the changes that streaming is bringing to our industry? Um. You know, look, I, I think that's a big, broad question. For me, it's streaming. The first word that comes to mind is opportunity. Um, it's just another distribution outlet. And I think that we need to, um, you know, look, I think it was inevitable that it was going to get here. I think COVID escalated that um, tenfold because it had to. There were no other options and there were no other distribution outlets that we were allowed to partake in. So it made streaming the number one place to be um, because we had to stay in our homes and still do. We're still, you know, we're in Los Angeles or I'm in Los Angeles and we're still under a stay at home order. Like restaurants are um, closed again for another wave and where it's takeout and delivery only. And so movie theaters are not open. Mm -hmm. um, the only thing we can do is stay home on a Friday night and watch Netflix, right? Or watch Disney plus. Um, and so, you know, I think with that, there comes opportunity for more content um, and more projects. Um, but I do think it poses challenges for the old model of theatrical, which I think we know that now, yeah. and we're seeing that happening now. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think, you know, for me, I don't think that theaters have to cease to exist in order for streaming to exist. I think yep. that they can coexist. And, um, and it's about learning how, you know, both of them can and how, uh, what, what projects are best to go there, whether it's changing the pricing models um, to changing the types of movies that end up going to that distribution outlet um, mm -hmm. or all of it. There's a lot, there's so much to unpack here. Yeah. Um, and structuring of deals, like I think all of it's going to change. So I think the first thing you think of is uncertainty, you know. Yeah. But I love the idea of like opportunity. So uncertainty also brings opportunity, doesn't it? And I like the mm -hmm. idea of opportunity where really yeah. in the streaming world, a lot of the old gatekeepers are also moving on and changing. And some of the difficulty because distribution is actually a logistics issue. Like it's a lot of work to get distribution in place, exhibitors on board, all that kind of stuff. Streaming. Yeah you know, there's a smaller critical mass to get something to a larger field, especially mm -hmm. 80 something million viewers. Yeah. Um, Keith, you know, you and I've been covering this for 
almost from the beginning, it feels like one of the first things we had to address was really what streaming services were going to do and impact. Um, when you think about the what, what the impact's going to be and just like qualifying films and something like the Oscars or how we're going to look back on are these legitimate movies and real movies in a way, like yeah. how are we going to, in our mind, put you know the classics together with the ones that are today? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I, I agree with Robin that it definitely is, there's opportunity for sure. And that's something we've talked about for the last few weeks about more content means more places for content means more need for content, more opportunities for creators and uh, the makers of the great stories that we all know and love. Um, but I do think the challenges of the future are gonna, similar going to be like what constitutes a movie now? Um, because streaming can be so much done in home now. Um, on a TV screen, it's basically become like a TV movie. Now, obviously the quality is gonna be better for sure because the money's gonna be bigger. I'm not saying like a lifetime movie is gonna be the same as a universal movie or whatever H what, you know, the Warner Media movie, Warner Brothers movies that are going on HBO Max are gonna be the same quality of like a, a CBS movie of the week kind of thing. But what makes a movie now? Like that's sort of the bigger conversation. Now, Steven Spielberg, God love him, tried to make this point when the Academy was debating whether or not to let Netflix movies be nominated for Oscars. Mm -hmm. He made it for like a half a second until he realized that he was gonna be cut off his nose to spite his face. You know, it was gonna cut him off from the revenue stream and all the money that Netflix throws at creators and the freedom they give them. Yeah. But at the same time, I appreciate the fact that he was trying to protect what makes a movie a movie, what makes Jaws, Jaws, what makes Raiders of the Lost Ark? And I think all of us on this call have been very fortunate that we grew up when we did because we all have those iconic movies that we saw in the theater. And we remember those iconic moments in the theater. And this generation, I don't think it's gonna have that. And I know they are, they're gonna have the Oscars in, in April. Um, what I would love to see, even though most of the movies that are gonna, that are gonna run are gonna play on Netflix. And which is, <laughs> Horribly ironic. Now, granted, some of them, they're going to have to have like a week in the theater somewhere. They're going to be released in some podunk theater. or. But I gonna... think Netflix played that game last uh, with yeah, uh, Irishmen. They just bought out the yeah. theaters and played there. Yeah. yeah, and they just ran it for two weeks. Um, I would love to see the Academy do some sort of like, this is why we love movies. Mm -hmm. This is why movies are great. This is why when the theaters open, we all want to go back to the theater because it's such a communal experience. And I know I've argued that if they expect people to just walk in and the experience is still the same, they're going to be for a rude awakening. But I think despite that, I still think there needs to be some sort of cultural campaign driven by the film business saying like, because I do think they, a lot of them have dropped the ball through this whole period and just gone silent and haven't talked at all about the industry and how important it is and um, how much of what going to the theaters is such a cultural experience for us as a, as a, as human beings. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's something that we, that can't be forgotten as we sort of look at sort of what 2020 has done to the industry as a whole and think about ways that we can still celebrate the idea of going to the movies. While I agree, Robin, that it is an opportunity. I think the other side of it is we also have to remember that we have to try to protect what going to the movies and an actual movie means now and, and we're gonna like this, even like more. the 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 money currently is in the streamers 
Yeah. So who has the finances no now to invest the streaming forward where the exhibitors and even yeah. the investment of the studios aren't necessarily in the idea of exhibition in the old way. So right. that shift just financially is going to kind of make that difference uh, take place. Mm -hmm. uh, interesting. Yeah. I, I think that there's something, you know, and I, I've, been, I've been thinking a lot about it too, and I know everybody has. And it's like, one of the things that I keep finding when you say like, we have to protect the theatrical model, right? We do have to protect the theatrical model. And, but here's what I will say to it. The theatrical model, and this is where I think that we're getting stuck in how do we protect it? How best do we mm -hmm. protect this model? And so yeah. because of that, we're becoming allergic to doing anything that is evolving or anything that involves change because we're scared that it will get rid of it completely and it will mm -hmm. eradicate theater going. And I, I, do, I think we need to reevaluate all of it and go back to start like for some reason for some reason and and i don't know if the, because this isn't the consumer as much i don't think as it is the actual marketers and the people in the entertainment industry who are defining this but for some reason a theatrical release is more valuable than a vod release or a streaming release and it's actually if you look at the past couple of years, Marriage Story was nominated for Academy Awards. Um, Irishman was nominated for Academy Awards. One of the best shows right now ever is The Mandalorian on Disney Plus. It's fantastic. It has like re-energized the Star Wars franchise mm -hmm. and brought in um, all of the old fans and also bringing in new fans. Um, you know, you look at Netflix has the best documentaries out there, like arguably, you know, yeah, towards people. Um, one of my favorite movies I've seen this year is a movie that was always at Amazon. It's The Sound of Metal. It's so beautiful. Like there's so, so I think we need to come back to um, that definition and the, like changing the perception because mm -hmm. it's, it, it, that's not really what I think consumers think, you know, like you look at Cobra Kai too, by the way, amazing, amazing. Yeah, pretty fun. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. That was that started on YouTube. YouTube, yeah. yeah. So like to talk about what means value, like I think we need to start fresh again. And I come just back feel and like say, to me, like it's um, there's a I guess there's a part of looking at streaming and thinking of it as a feature film is like watching athletes that are on steroids like it, like there's something different that I can't compare today's com uh, current athletes and what they're able to achieve to Babe Ruth right the classic what it means and and what defined the era of what a what a the greatest all time was <laughs> and that mm -hmm. evolution because of because we can identify the evolution it's just not the same so right. I I love the idea of getting back to the principle of yeah. value and to right because there is a filter in our mind that knows the difference between a film and a TV show. And it's right. not duration. It's not if there's commercials in between it. I just watched The Greatest mm -hmm. Showman on FX and it had commercials between it. And I still knew it was a film, right? There's still something yeah. about it. There's something theatrical about it. And I'm, I'm looking at it now as, you know, it, it, because it is very, in its like simplest form, it's a distribution outlet. Streaming mm -hmm. is a distribution outlet and so are theaters and let the people decide for themselves where and when they want to, or how they want to watch your movies. And there yeah. are times like I am a frequent movie goer. I love going to the movies, but I also have a toddler and um, 
it costs a lot of money to get a babysitter to cover her that night. Um, and then for my husband and I to go out to dinner, go to this movie, like it, it, it's a big thing. Whereas my husband and I, sometimes we just want to pay for the convenience and that's what it is. It's right. a convenience thing. Oh, it's, yeah. Almost, yeah. it's almost like DoorDash and Postmates and restaurants. <laughs> I'm not going to stop going to restaurants. I love going to restaurants. Yeah. Sometimes mm-hmm. I don't want to cook. And sometimes I want a good meal and I'm going to order Postmates because it's convenient. Now, the right. difference between those two is that the restaurant still makes money off of a DoorDash or a Postmates because it's still mm-hmm. ordering from the restaurant. The theaters aren't making money. So let's look at that and say, how do we give the theaters a cut of this if there's some version to involve them into streaming? How do we partner, right? By the way, yeah. you just took the greatest twist, right? Like you just found the greatest twist. It's almost like Tower Records missing the MP3 uh, evolution. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. studios did the distribution instead of the theaters recognizing the need and, and being the Netflix the next generation, they right. missed the boat. Right. They were, they're the, the guys that are trying to sell uh, buggy whips to cars that people that own cars, like it doesn't work. And we're getting too caught up on protecting the theatrical experience that in order to protect it, really, in order to really protect it, we have to really understand what it is that the theatrical model offers. Right. It's just a distribution outlet. It is literally a place where you can see the movie. Now it's a wonderful place. I'm not trying to diminish it because again, I love the movies and there is nothing like sitting in a movie theater with all of these people and you're sharing this experience on a gigantic screen, it's magical and everyone should have that. And I strongly believe that that is not going to go away, but we need to find a way to um, evolve and make them part of, uh, like, I don't think that streaming and um, theatrical should should be at odds. I think we should find a way to make them work together. Well, we- Disney actually has done very successfully. And we, uh, Keith, you and I uh, kind of uh, almost in one of our first episodes pulled out mm-hmm. the idea that Paramount Decree was going going away mm-hmm. with this thought of like, maybe that's the very first indicator that the exhibition experience is going to be very different. If the right. studios can now start owning um, the, the theaters Part as well, yeah. it might be a very different experience or the hope for or understanding the need for that different experience. Yeah, I think... Robin, Robin is correct in that we, I mean, I, I'm not saying we have to protect the theatrical model in terms of like the windows and all that kind of stuff, but I do think it needs, there needs to be a way to work together. And I think one of the things I've always said is a lot of other, like the Netflixes and the Apples and the Facebooks and the Gothas of the world, if you will, have always yeah. given the content where the consumer wants it, when they want it and how they want it. Right. Whereas the film industry was always saying, uh-uh, no, no, no. You're going to see it when I tell you and where I tell you and how I tell you. And that was not where the, where the, where sort of the mood of the culture was shifting. It was shifting to the point where the consumer's in control. Right. And I think you're right. I think the, the DoorDash Postmates is a great uh, analogy. Restaurants still survive because they get a cut. And I think like when you look at what Universal's doing, um, and what Jeff Schell and Donna Langley are doing there now, sort of they're working with the exhibitors to try to figure out a way to make this work. They recognize that theatrical is an important part of the process, but it's not the end all be all. Like they right. started to say like experimenting, okay, well, we'll give it 17 days. And if it doesn't make 50, a certain benchmark, then we're going to move it over to our peacock, but we'll give you a cut of whatever it makes. Yeah. Right. And we'll give you a, cu- a certain cut of 
you know, whatever the formula is. But that's one way to do it. And I think Warner Media just went the extreme opposite direction and said, nah, we're just going to move everything over here and ignore the theatrical experience altogether. And I think that's, I think that's the, the opposite extreme. Um, and I you do know, think- to, to me, what Warner did is, that what's so interesting about that is like, it's almost like they ignored the relationship. They were the relationship yeah. of the entire industry of the creators, the distributors, the studio themselves. They, it's almost like they were too- uh, disruptive and too door dashy and forgot that there was actually a whole bunch of, there's a whole supply chain kind of feeding it all. Yeah. yeah. Robin, I see your face. You're, you're, you're agreeing with that somewhat. <laughs> you work with talent. Like what's the, you know, what's the feeling of this move that Warner brothers did? Because that's obviously a, a big dig on those relationships. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I, <laughs> I I'm going to speak very frank. Like, you know, they're, the way that this was handled lacked um, any diplomacy or class um, or recognition um, to the filmmakers and the partners. And there are hundreds, sometimes thousands of people working on these movies behind the scenes and not just for weeks or months, but years. Like a lot of these movies are, are in the works for years and they're babies and they are precious to the people who who are creating them and we need to treat those people and those creators with respect they deserve it and they're the reason why um you know content is everything creative is like the creative itself is what brings people mm -hmm. to the movies it's not the mm -hmm. distribution outlet right mm -hmm. so these people are so invested in this and for them to find out that their projects have been moved to streaming, um, which again, I, and I'm, I'm, there's two separate things. I was talking about the value of a project earlier and it shouldn't be seen, like we're changing that perception on streaming versus theatrical. But here's the difference in this. Every single one of those films was agreed upon um, to be a theatrical release and money was spent and time was spent and effort was spent with the expectation of it going in that direction. And to come in and handle the relationships the way that they did was um, so damaging to the legacy of Warner Brothers in general, um, because AT&T comes in and decides, and for them, it's about their bottom line. It was, they're using these pieces of art to elevate their service and that's it. And it's, it's, it was so poorly handled. Look, I think, I understand why these decisions are being made in a COVID era. I understand that there's opportunity there. And I understand that some of those movies probably would perform better on streaming, but not all of them. And yeah. they've also- And they didn't tell, it's not like they, they were upfront about it. They, everyone else had to find out in the news. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it horrible. It destroys decades of trust. Yeah. Um, and also it destroys, it potentially destroys the future of any one of those movies to be a franchise because now you have upset the very people that are invested in making it that they don't trust you anymore mm. and they don't know where to go with this project. Um, should there be a franchise? I mean, I look at a movie like Dune. Dune is... Um, 
there's so much opportunity with that film and to be like it's it's very it's a very inaccessible project when you think about like that's the biggest problem that's his biggest challenge from a marketing standpoint is accessibility um in terms of like how big is your audience because dune is a very niche project that has a very specific audience yeah. however like if it's done correctly and if it's done right and if you can come in and build the world like um it could be the next avatar like it could be but the way that this was handled it it just, it, it upsets every single person that has put years into building this world. And uh, I just, it's, I, I'm very upset. That yeah, to it, me, I, the biggest harm is, you know, you, um, anybody trying to compete with the Marvel universe um, and the only real breakthrough that anyone's had is Wonder Woman and to yeah. be able to really kind of uh, put pressure on that relationship and not do, handle that well. Uh, yeah. What a sabotage of really the best asset they've made in the superhero universe. Um, uh, very unfortunate. Keith, you were saying earlier, just the idea of like what AT&T's agenda might be and um, in, in doing this. Um, are they, do they not care? Do you think it's just about the bottom line? Um, or is AT&T um, going to try to step up uh, like versus a Comcast and you know, like these other bigger players that are greater than Amazon's and Netflix that are they're focusing, but the AT&Ts and Comcast, the world are doing something different. Yeah, I think a lot of it is, um, there's just sort of an, uh, I don't want to, I mean, ignorance is probably the wrong word, but that may be closer to the mark uh, in terms of what goes into putting together these projects. I think Robin <laughs> nailed it. It is, these are acts of love. I've sat in, when I work, was working in film development, I've sat in meetings yeah. and these, creators, these writers, direct, they feel this project because they eat, sleep, and breathe it for so many years. It's their baby that they've nursed from the ground up. And the amount of people that put the effort and time into creating all these beautiful works of art, films like Dune. Um, and it, it's such an important part of the process. And I think AT&T is just sort of like, they, they're not involved in it. They, you, unless you actually sit there and work and you understand the blood, sweat, and tears, uh, I know Tim, you made you made a comment earlier about how it just seems like we it's the greatest job ever and it's fun. It is fun. There's a lot of aspects of working industry that are fun, but it's mm -hmm. also the reason that it is such a stressful industry is because so many people are passionate about what they're working on and they want it to succeed and everybody wants their movies to open. Everybody wants their movies to win. And I don't think unless you're in it in the day to day and you understand that you have a grasp on what it takes to get these films together and put them out. So I think that was somewhat missing. And I applaud, you know, like I said last week, I think this could either go brilliantly or it could go horribly wrong. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, in a lot of ways, I applaud Jason Kalar for his brave, his sort of boldness, but because he doesn't come from the industry, he didn't work in it. He didn't, he was never an assistant sitting on a desk, listening to the conversations and the decisions that have to be made on a split yeah. and a split and the, the millions of dollars that are on the line and every minute of delay and all that kind of stuff. I just don't think there, there's an understanding. And I think that's where a little bit of the disconnect was. And I think AT&T and the board and John Stanky recognized, despite their public pro pronunciations to the contrary, HBO Max launch was a failure. I mean, yeah. it, it's, not, it's not a total disaster. I mean, they're increasing subs but if you look at disney plus what disney plus has done 
how Peacock is sort of performing. They've got a better awareness with Peacock than HBO Max does. Ultimately, HBO Max was a bit of a, a bust. And I think they're like, we need to do something drastic to save this. And I think, and because they put so much into the future of HBO Max, I think that's ultimately where the decision-making came from. And it would be so interesting if the... Um... If the real disruption that that we see in 2021, because I'd love to get you guys' thought of like what's going to happen, but that Warner Brothers is totally like the change that would take place in Warner Brothers, because that might be one of the first players that we see in the studio business that really has um, like the greatest hit, the let's say the traditional film industry in the greatest hit. Um, mm -hmm. And really what that might be to the dynamic shifts, because if if AT&T really just sees it as just a, a playing field or not even a playing field, just, just an asset that they own, but not really taking care of it from that creative field, will the creators want to move on and do something different? Um, what, what, what thoughts do you guys have just moving forward 2021? What do you think the, the we're going to see in changing in that way? Go ahead, Rob. No, I was just going to add to your note. And, and this is something that I, you know, again, just taking a step back and looking at it, holistically, um, the thing that HBO Max failed to do, um, and I think there's a lot that they failed to do. Um, the first one is we already know HBO is a brand. Um, I understand why they wanted to launch it as HBO Max because it's an existing brand and they were trying to build off of a fanship that, that they already had. But HBO in general is a brand that means quality. And it's very specific. And you think of like what it's branded towards in the same way that Disney is branded. You know, we know, we know what that means. But when you start using that to put every single piece of content on, you've actually hurt your brand. Totally. And so someone yeah. who, you know, it, like I'm looking at it as these guys, these people coming from AT&T and not to diminish them as business executives, they're brilliant they're brilliant people and, and you know, they, they've gotten to where they are because they've made a lot of great business decisions. I just happen to think that this is not one of them. Like I probably would have looked at it as I probably would have called it Warner brothers and built from there. And I think the number Warner one, plus. <laughs> whatever, but you can't take something. It, it was square peg round hole. And as an entertainment company, you exist solely to entertain people. Yeah. And in order to do that, you have to invest in creativity. And the, what they've done, for lack of a better way of saying it, is you know, Disney uses Disney Plus to build franchises, right? Mandalorian, they bring in Ahsoka Tano, and now Ahsoka Tano is getting her own streaming show. So is Boba Fett. Like they're using it to build franchises to eventually potentially even get to the movie screen. Yeah. HBO Max is using theirs to kill potential franchises. <laughs> well, you're, what's so funny is, is if, if you think about it, I mean, uh, no HBO film has ever been nominated for an Oscar. So no. they take they take uh, Oscar uh, a platform, Warner Brothers Studios and Warner Brothers Distribution, and they move it on to really direct, direct to video. And directed video has not ever been something that they thought there. And, and that would be like Disney saying, hey, we're going to move all of our feature film releases to ABC Plus. Right. Or ABC this, Max, right? That's what it would be like. It's, it this just is the match. stuff that I agree. Like, this is the kind of stuff where 
you know, and this is what HBO and Warner and AT&T um, didn't invest in, which was they should have brought on franchise managers from, from the beginning. People who are going to come in and say, look at this from a long-term mm. five to 10 year outlook of what each one of these projects could potentially do. Now, there's a lot of those movies that are on the slate for 2021 that are individual movies that you could cherry pick and put on streaming. And that works. That makes sense for the movie. But a movie like Dune or a movie like Godzilla, you know, like you take those movies that are already existing franchises, you got, you have to look at the long-term plans for what that is. Otherwise, you have left billions of dollars on the table, potentially by doing the impulsive move that they did. And it's just, it, it, you know, Disney gets that. That's why Disney is who Disney is. That's why Disney Plus, they, they invested in it slowly. They already had a gigantic library to throw in there to begin with. And then they didn't, they, they've been slowly building and throwing other stuff on. They fought to put Mulan. They didn't want to put Mulan on the streaming service. They wanted to protect its theatrical value. But then, you know, once you get, you know, the international part of it and then the piracy potential issues like there's a lot that goes into those decisions and i get why those decisions get made yeah Um, it's just so um unfortunate let's say and i think in a relationship-based world that we're in uh on the creative field i love the idea that you're saying or the word that you use is trust really the uh, when you produce something you're taking someone else's idea and getting it to screen and there's right. a lot of arguments and a lot of uh, discussions and uh, uh, too many creative hours put into certain aspects that get completely lost. Um, and to, to downplay it or look like you've downplayed it and not considered that, um, very harmful to, to that relationship. It's gonna, it's gonna be interesting. I'm gonna uh, it'd be interesting to see which of the more uh, monopolies are out there, the Amazons and Netflixes are gonna take advantage of this and create some disruption in the field because of this shift right. that's going to take place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, Keith, I have to yeah. say, like, we're running. This is, I think, there's our last episode of the year, right? It this, is. I don't know it if is. we're going to do something on Christmas Eve, or would it be Christmas? Yeah, Christmas Eve. Would it be Christmas Day next week? Christmas Day. I'm not oh doing this gosh. on Christmas Day, Tim. Sorry. I'm not doing it on Christmas Day and New Year's Day. I'm going to say we're probably not going to. No, gonna... <laughs> we're going to be back in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. This we'll is it. This 2021. Is it. We'll do it right. We'll get some rest for the next week and a half or so. Yeah. And who knows yeah. what's going to blow up in the next two weeks. <clears throat> yeah, the next show, the, the, our first show in 2021 yeah. will probably have to be like three hours to cover everything that happens. In I will bet weeks. Wonder Woman will be part of that discussion. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for sure. I'm going to watch it. I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to watch it. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Me too. I'm bummed that I can't watch it in a theater. Yeah. Like, but I'm, um, I'm certainly going to watch it. And, I, think I mean, theaters open in Utah, by the way. So maybe we should all just take a trip out to Utah. Let's get on a, let's get a plane and go to Utah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm yeah. out. Business trip. I wear a mask. All right, we got to wrap things up. I am so thankful for the two of you. I, you know, this idea of being able to talk to the, both of you and your knowledge and understanding of what's going on in the industry, we're very lucky to have you in our community and sharing this kind of behind the scenes aspect of what it's like to work in this industry and the real comings and goings are going on. Uh, I believe it's, it's helpful for me and it's helpful for the people that are watching just to, to gain that understanding and, and pick your brain behind it. So thankful for the two of you. Um, I want to wish you both a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays. Just enjoy the time. 
Merry Christmas. That's right. You Here, look- I, have my, I have my Christmas bulldog mug. There you go. I oh, love it. Love I it. have no Christmas thing. I, 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 uh, Keith looks like he's on a Christmas vacation. Right? It's like a straight Chevy Chase right there. That is. <laughs> Chevy Chase inspired. Yeah. Hallelujah. Holy shit. Where's the Tylenol? Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's a classic. We, that pretty much describes the year right there. Oh, yeah. my gosh. <laughs> I've asked this all, I'll, maybe I'm going to stretch this just two more minutes, but um, I've asked this to all my clients this week. So I'd be curious what you guys are thinking to wrap this thing up. Best Christmas movie. What's your, what's an all-time favorite or a family must in order to, uh, to, to pull it in? And I'll start with, we are an elf family without a doubt. Mm. We haven't watched it yet because we're not all together. We'll watch it together on Christmas Eve when we're together. So that's the one. That were there, and uh, White Christmas is definitely one of the classics that we. Uh, I will say, Tim, Netflix now has a um, when uh, how they were made holiday edition. Oh, I saw Elf that. Is one. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 we did that. We watched that one because we haven't watched. I was it. actually, yeah. I was actually at New Line when we made that movie, so it was oh, that's cool fun. to be there with it. All time. right, so what's your uh, what's your film there, Keith? Uh, I would probably have to say, obviously, Christmas Vacation, given this. But another one that I love is Scrooged with Bill Murray. Oh yeah, love that's that fun. Movie. Yeah, yeah. Love that movie. So yep. many classic lines in that movie. Oh, it's great. And how about you, Robin? What's the film? It's so hard to pick. Um, I would say, I mean, Christmas Vacation for us too. It's a family favorite, always has been, um, and is still now. And um, I love It's a Wonderful Life. It's so oh, classic. Oh, good one. We just saw that with grandma. Grandma's That's 93. We sat down with her. It is just, wow. and I, I, this year was funny because when I watched it, I felt like I've never seen it before. There was just something funny, different uh, about it that I was like, oh, wow, this is just such a timely movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. It's magical. It's, yeah, it's classic, timeless, never goes out of style. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again to both you guys. Love you guys. And hope you have a wonderful holiday. I also need to you say too. thank you to Lydia behind the scenes, all the hard work that you do to kind of keep this going and make things happen. Your team at Go Social and then Curly Joe for kind of transcribing this thing and helping us get this out to video. We're thankful for all of you behind the scenes, make it happen. Merry Christmas to everyone. And we'll see you in 2021.